For those of you that uh, I have not had the privilege of meeting yet, my name's John, and it is good to be back home. I uh, th- thank you, Mom. Uh, for those that uh, don't know, I-, I was gone for a while, uh, about a month, um, on the other side of the world, uh, quite literally in Nepal. Uh, myself and uh, 12 others, um, nine of us leaders from the U.S. and uh, four Sherpas uh, were on a journey to go to Mount Everest Base Camp, and we successfully got to where we wanted to go, uh, which was awesome. Uh, it was quite a journey. Uh, it was very much a journey. We, uh, we had 100 miles that we hiked. Um, that's exhausting thinking about it. Um, uh, 18,000 feet of elevation gained, 50,000 feet of change in elevation, um, 16 days of hiking uh, straight, uh, 8 to 10 hour days every day, and uh, just going through uh, rain and sunshine and snow and yak dung, um, and it was everywhere, which also led to uh, you know one parasite being gained and becoming part of my body. I, I've been host to a parasite for a while. That's been fun, and 49 pounds lost. Um, so... Uh, has not been always fun <laughs> this past month, um, but uh, somebody asked me in a sentence, can you sum it up? And I said, probably not, but uh, I can say in a phrase, it was both beautiful and heartbreaking, both, um, because of some of the horrific things you see in third world countries uh, and beautiful and how you see God moving and working, but also when you're in the midst of God's majesty in the mountains, um, it's hard to not see him. Uh, you know, he is right there. You know, uh, it's beautiful. So uh, a great tension there between beauty and heartbreak. Um, and what's awesome is throughout that journey uh, that all of you have been a part of either in prayer or financial support, our team was able to raise over $625,000 to start new churches. So... I will uh, share a lot more about my Mount Everest experience in uh, the days and weeks and months to come, but uh, not today. A little cliffhanger for you. Not today. Today, um, I want to talk about uh, this series that we've been in called Legacy. Uh, And the gift of technology, I know we don't always see technology as a gift, but man, when used and wielded well... It is a gift that I was able to be in Nepal and be a part of our online service. That was awesome <laughs> to be able to chat, you know, and put in the chat like, hey, I'm watching from Nepal. And like, oh, yeah, amen. Praise God, David. Yeah, give it to him. You know, like it was awesome. Um, and so this whole series, Legacy, it was fun to watch like, and surreal, honestly, to watch from Nepal as David has been leading us through 20 years of life lessons, leadership lessons, and what it means to live out, not just leave a legacy, but to live out a legacy. Yeah. And I don't know how long God will give me, 15, 20, 30 years, however long you put up with me, but like I I can't imagine having to boil down leadership lessons to four. Um, But That's what David has done. And so week one, he has shared uh, what it means to be real, to be authentic, 
um, week two, what it means to be biblical, to, to truly root yourself into the word of God and let that be your compass in all things. Um, today is the teaching of to be bold. Um, and I've only been here for two and a half years, but I've watched David Vaughn be bold in so many different ways. And so today's teaching and how we're going to communicate that, it will be a little unique and a little bold. I think it's bold of what we're about to do on a Sunday morning um, and how we're going to use this time. Uh, And so for the last uh, two plus years, we've had a team of two people, uh, Jake Wendling and Joe Porter, who have done just a beautiful job of capturing succession um, through uh, storytelling and video, and they have made a documentary to capture what God has been doing through the leadership of David and all of you, how God has been working through his bride, the local church, preparing us for this moment, and today we're going to share that documentary. And so uh, I just ask you to, to lean in, to see God at work in all of our lives, and to mark this moment well that only comes hopefully every 20 years. So, uh, Father, I just ask that uh, you stir in us and focus our hearts right now and for us to see how your name is lifted high and what you are doing in, with, and through us right now for your kingdom and for your glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Whitewater Crossing is a 106-year-old collection of Jesus followers that refuses to act its age. At a time when congregations are drifting into irrelevance, with their buildings being converted into wedding venues and breweries, Whitewater has fought and found a way to consistently reinvent to provide hope to the community. Thousands have gathered week after week, hundreds of lives forever altered, honest stories of pain were shared, lasting partnerships developed with school systems, all in an effort to meet real needs, help people have a voice and feel loved. Some might say that the best days are behind Whitewater or that work should be done to preserve and restore instead of embracing change and looking toward the future. One dynamic factor in the success of Whitewater has been David Vaughn. There is no mistaking his fingerprints all over what God has done in this ministry. But with David's upcoming retirement, how will his legacy carry forward? What will Whitewater look like 10 years from now? It's possible it will become yet another vacant facility whose impact in the community peaked, only to decline once its transformational leader moved on. 
Whitewater is not alone in this struggle. Entire countries must navigate the transfer of leadership while keeping the peace and maintaining progress. Companies must find a way to innovate and embrace change or deal with the consequences of being left behind. Look no further than Blockbuster, Macy's, or Toys R Us to see the effects of leadership's unwillingness or inability to forecast what was to come. We did not have uh, God in as a center point in our marriage. It, we knew we both came out of dysfunctional homes, but and we knew that we didn't want that. We wanted something better. And Jack and I were baptized on Father's Day of 1953. And when he came up out of that baptistry, he was he was a different man, and I was a different woman. And we had a different home. My parents attended Westwood Cheviot, uh, the name of Whitewater before it became Whitewater. And so I, I grew up there as well as my wife did. I have been at Whitewater all of my life, which is a really, really long time. <laughs> Back to Westwood Cheviot days and the days of Dr. Hockley. When Harold Hockley was there, you were proud to be a member of Westwood Cheviot. They were great. They were a part of our life when we needed it. It's like anything else. When somebody who's been there 34 years retires, all of a sudden, the old school is gone and somebody comes in. I think the leadership was trying to get these, these ministers to bend back to the glory days. You know, and I think that's what really caused the rift. Some of them were timid, some of them were aggressive, and we finally found one that was both. We were living um, on the coast of Virginia. Uh, we were 13 years into ministry there. And then I think it was around Thanksgiving or right before Thanksgiving, he says to me, I don't think we should be searching, but I think we should be open. You know, we were hoping for a lot. We didn't know if we could convince this guy who was doing a great ministry in Virginia Beach to come to a smaller church in Cincinnati. So it was Sunday night, we got on our return flight and we sat down and he says to me, what do you think? And I said to him, this church needs you, so I think we're moving to Cincinnati. And that was it, we never looked back. My memory is a breath of fresh air because there was a lot of uncertainty at the church at that time and so he brought a lot of hope uh, and um, excitement to the church. Actually, when David came on, we already had ideas about this property. Driving around with David and Donna, and uh, this subject came up. And I said, David, I, I got just the thing. And I remember sitting in our car and Dave pulling out a big pushpin board that had a map that showed all of the different neighborhoods around this property that could be like the fish that we're fishing for. I pointed to David, I said, here, look at these neighborhoods going in. Look at these neighborhoods going in. It just seemed like a strange way to show a potential minister what our plans were, and I was afraid we'd scare David away, but he came anyway. But I'm here to tell you that the future of this church is not on Glenmore Avenue. It's off of Route 128. Somebody did it for us when we were young, and then we carried the torch for a long time, and we will continue. Uh, unless we win these young people, there's no future to the church. Because God's got a lot more in store for this church then maybe we even realize. 
he was not afraid uh, to speak his mind to his eldership or to his congregation. We're about lost people. We always have been, we always will be. So if that doesn't excite you, this is probably the time to exit. We got some, a few ornery people in this church too. They just tick me off, always griping, always complaining. The natural gravitational pull of a church is insider focus. Members' preferences, members' needs, me, my needs, my wants, my desires. We're for the one, but guess what? The one's not you. <laughs> oh. Actually, I think David overall had a positive experience that first summer. There were some negatives, but yeah. <laughs> Particularly when David came, there was this uh, group within the church that really felt like it was a Sunday school class. It really felt like their agenda was more important than the elders' agenda. And there was this conflict. They were encouraging people to come to Sunday school class, but hey, you don't need to go to worship because it's really not good, you know? <laughs> and David came on board and he saw that and he, he wasn't gonna put up with that. To David's credit, he faced it head on and he basically walked into a room with all of these people and I, it was like a come to Jesus moment, I think. Told them very specifically, hey, uh, you either need to get on board or there's gonna be some changes here. And consequently, that church, that class did turn around, but it, it lost a few people. Uh, you know, I my goal when I showed up was to survive. <laughs> you know, I was going to make sure that I didn't quit, like, and I wasn't going to get run off. In fact, I decided just to stay to spite some people. They never knew that. Like, oh, you're not going to run me off. Because first I was hurt, and then I got mad. Uh, that's like a holy anger. People felt like this is a young guy. Does he really know? He's not Harold Hockley. He has a little bit of a Kentucky twang to him, you know. You know, I smell some Starbucks coffee brewing back there. And you know me, I love that coffee. So I'm gonna go back here and get a cup. He maybe is not reverent as, as much as we felt like the mold of Westwood Chevy it was. He used uh, props in his messages. And quite often some of us would even dress up in costumes. I was the first guy I didn't wear a tie. I was the first guy who wore blue jeans. I was the first guy who used, used jokes. There wasn't a lot of laughing in the Westwood Chevy. Very formal, very liturgical. One guy said, we're just too pooped to whoop. That's what he said. David knew what to do when he was, had to be quiet, and he also knew what he had to do when he had to speak and had to act. Had some elders already trying to get the church healthy. They were just looking for a guy who could preach, love lost people, wouldn't quit. When he said that we needed to move, <laughs> Jack had a smile that went from ear to ear, and, and he said, he came home and he said, you know what, we're gonna move. I said, you and I are gonna move? He said, no, the church is gonna move. That's unheard of, I'm sorry. That church has been there on that corner for 100 years. We, could, we weren't able to buy just part of it, so we had to buy the whole 74. Well, that came with a big price tag, so David had to figure out you know, how we're gonna raise the money to, to do this. It's just like anything else that's new. You have to grow. This is your church. This is your building. Thank you for letting me be a part of something I could only dream about or only read about happening in other churches. I give you glory. God, I'm here to serve as long as you want me to. When it's my time to be done, just tap me and say, Dex. I can say without a doubt, because I'm the only one that can say it, I believe, is that he is the same in person, on the platform, in public, that he is in private. He is the same man. I just happened to be the right guy at the right time. 
God was ready to do something, and he used me to this sanctified clay to just keep prodding and keep plodding along. Pick it up from here. Uh, hey, you want me to go? Yeah. Okay, prepare the way, Lord. Um, prepare the way, Lord. <laughs> okay, I got rampant. The tree was turning brown. The stocks. <laughs> I didn't. I knew it wasn't gonna be easy to to talk about all this stuff because I don't. I don't like to talk about me. I don't. It's very. It's uncomfortable. In 2011, I was asked by the elder chairman, who was Bob Hastings at the time, to be a leader of a strategy team that the elders had put together to address uh, succession planning. And it was to take a long-term look at what does succession mean for a church. And that's when David said, we don't need a 60-year-old pastor of this church. I actually initiated it. So we need to start looking at some some things now. Years ago, I said to him, I really don't feel like you should be here past the age of 62. You know, there were studies done of what did what did other churches do, what, what were the good things, what were the bad things, and I think what he and the elders have come down upon has been a, a very healthy transition. Every pastor is an interim pastor. Uh, I just hold it loosely. I love this city, I love this town, but it's never been my church. So I think succession fundamentally says Jesus is Lord of his church. He's the, he's the CEO. I just happen to sit in this chair for a season and hopefully be a, the best steward that I can be. I've seen too many stay too long, and I did not want that to be us. I didn't want it to be him, and he knew that. He, he was in total agreement with that. We had no intention of trying to replicate or clone David. His skill set, um, his spiritual gifts, were so much in line with helping lead a congregation from Glenmore Avenue down to Route 128 and thriving. But uh, others, not the same, that will be able to take us into the future, building on what David has already established here. I think for some people, particularly people who have grown with him over the years, they have in their head, that's the way a minister should be. But when you're wanting to do something different, it takes a different kind of vision and different kind of leader. The mission absolutely is the same. That was that cultural fit, that passionate fit we were looking for, the person that no matter what is gonna reach people for Jesus. through a company called Slingshot, who specializes in this area and has a significant amount of experience with the uh, uh, Christian church. Slingshot um, helped us draw that, uh, that pool of candidates down to 12. We actually interviewed seven. Even before it was, I'm going to interview for the position, uh, there was a brief conversation and my response, if I quote, has a cuss word in it, so is that okay? <laughs> so it's quote, there's no way in hell I'm moving to Cincinnati, end quote. So um, no, it was really like, there is not a chance that I'm gonna move to Cincinnati. Why would we do that? And so that was the honest, kind of in the moment response. So as they narrowed it down, we interviewed the the final two 
And I was talking to John just out of the blue. We had texted something and he, he was saying, can you believe it? I'm one of the top three candidates for Whitewater. He said, I've told them everything. I've put it out there. I've almost over-exaggerated to let them know exactly who I am, what I've done, everything about me, no stone unturned. I gave it to them and they still wanted me. Can you believe it? After conversation, I, I guess it was more like, well, yeah, you should definitely consider this. And if we have to have a conversation about moving to Cincinnati, if it actually becomes a tangible thing, then we'll do that. But we put it off for a very long time. The thing that took John to the top of the list that really sealed the deal for the team was his story. I was looking for, for Jesus to be working in his life and his story. He has a history. I was well aware of his history. But I wanted to see if that was a capital H, his story. John is a person who's profoundly concerned for lost people. I think what you're going to see with him, uh, because it's what's in him, is this openness to everyone. It is a theological value for him, but it's also just a deep personal value. He's an incredibly inclusive person. They offered him the job. It really wasn't much of a conversation after that. It was just like we already knew that it was what we were supposed to do. And he has some, the, some raw material that is way beyond what I had when I started. He's much better at his age than I was when I showed up at that same age here. To be honest, I was a bit nervous to like start the process of somebody new. Cause I'm like, how are they ever gonna measure up? Um, David's like his just visionary leadership and his heart for lost people. I had preconceived notions and they were incorrect. I, I didn't know who he was gonna be when I sat down and talked with him. And when we finally met, I didn't, I won't say he had the deer in the headlights look, but it was pretty close. He, he looked us straight in the eyes and he said, you, you really wanna me, you, you wanna take a chance on me. Are you serious about this? The second I met John Tizovich, I just knew. We had this instant just connection. I was like, this is a guy that I will follow because this guy loves Jesus. I can tell by the way he loves his family, by the way that he interacts with people. And the same exact things that I loved about David were in John too. Is that a new Chris employee, thing? New employee. Okay, well, oh no, you weren't copied on it. <laughs> So it's happened already. We're hiring people. I don't even know about it. And of course, John knows. All right, to be knows. fair, it just went from Jess to me, Nick, and Chris. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh. Let me tell you what's going on here. It's David Who. You have been it's officially. It's David Who already. You've been officially ousted. Yeah. February of 2020, when we had made our decision as an elder board collectively, consensus, unanimous, that, that he was the guy to put on the path for succession. I'm just gonna sit and I'm just gonna soak and I'm gonna take the next six months and be a fly in the wall. And that was the plan. As you recall, as everybody will so painfully recall, February 2020 was like, the end of life as we knew it. Because in March, masks and toilet paper shortages and everything else, the world just fell apart. That plan uh, went out the window uh, because it was 
you know, David said, it's all hands on deck. It gave John a chance to um, really lead in a tough environment. He's been challenged. It forced you and I to jump into the deep end with sharks, with yeah. laser beams on them, with like lava around us. We found out really fast who we really were. I see COVID has allowed us to accelerate our relationship uh, in ways that, that never could have been done. So right away we found out, oh, this dude loves Jesus. This dude is mission focused. Mm -hmm. This guy's heart is for the lost. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about Let's make sure we lift up X, Y, or Z well during a succession. It's like, no, let's make sure Jesus is glorified throughout this whole thing. The direction of our church hasn't changed. The mission and the vision have stayed the same. The methodologies, the strategies, the styles, those have all changed, but that's not what's important. What's important is, are we trying to reach lost people? being a Christian meant you had to be perfect and put on this, you can't possibly be depressed, you can't possibly be anxious, you can't possibly question anything or be, you know, have any hurt or pain because then you're not trusting God. Dave has taught me through the years that that's absolutely not true. Actually, that's not real at all and you probably don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ if you aren't a little bit broken. The challenge for you and I in this arena is that we may know that God forgives us but we have trouble forgiving ourselves. People forget we lost 100, 150 people my first year here, and really the first few months. So I shouldn't be surprised if people go. But I think there's some people who unfairly decided pretty quickly, this is not the guy. I remember the first time David Vaughn threw the R word out there. It's true, you're, you, you've got to retire at some point in your life and live the second chapter. You know, between David Vaughn and our elders, they're just gonna replace him with another David Vaughn who's newer in their career, so perfect. In the meantime, this guy kept coming that was like the most theatrical, like, jerk. And then this John guy kept coming and dancing around on stage, and I swear he got more steps in one sermon than I do in an entire day. How Jesus would do it, though. It's like, I, I have to go this way, right? I have to go this way, I have to be somewhere, I gotta meet with somebody. It wasn't until I told another member of the church, I said, when are we gonna get to meet the guy that they're kind of looking into for Dave? And they said, don't you think by now it's John? I was like, no, absolutely not. I was like, that man, that's hurtful. My style individually, privately, is pretty much the same as you see on stage. But there is, in some people's mind, uh, falsely, a disconnect. They want, is this guy real? What, what kind? It takes a while on the west side for people to get that. I think he does a good job of challenging people and during those, you know, um, sermon or speaking, really engaging people and challenging them on a one-on-one -on -one basis. The approach is different, and I can see that David is mentoring John in many ways, in many facets, not just how he delivers his message, where those opportunities are, who we can reach. He's culturally, he's extremely culturally relevant person and not in a fake way, in a way that's very sincere. He wants to understand where people come from so that he can respond to them, so that he can lead into what real needs are. I said, John, you're so good at reaching the margins. His story is so compelling. I just love it. 
but you've also got to reach the middle too. You got to teach like all all teachers know. You got to teach to all the students in the room. So I was like, David, I can't pull back. I cannot be anything but what I believe God has called me to be, to preach God's word the way he's wired me to preach his word. We need a different style. It's healthy. And so my advice to John and coaching to John was, hey, John, you know, don't be inauthentic. Don't be somebody you're not. I'm trying to help you reach the middle. The middle that is sitting there going, whoa, you are so different than David. I think I hear your heart. I think I understand why you're passionate. But if you get loud one more time, I, 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 just, may, I just may walk. John's favorite verse, I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save something. That's kind of my verse too, by the way. He didn't know it. So both of us have that outreach heart. So Jesus adjusted his cadence. And even Jesus did not show all of himself to everyone. When he did let them see who he was, they were freaked out, scared to death. I think for a while in his teachings, it, it maybe was a little bit more focused, um, certainly on just the, the, the one who was lost, and that was the only person he was talking to. And I have seen him just grow in a way to be able to speak to anyone in the audience, whether you have been to church your whole life or this is your first time attending. He's not changing as a man. He's not changing his heart. He's not changing his passion. He's maturing and it's a, it's a beautiful process to see. When you know him and, what, and when you know what's underneath that personality, what's driving that passion, you know that it's a person that's doing what he's doing for Jesus. My favorite thing about him is that he authentically loves people where they are so this is a this is a value of mine is that we love people where they are we don't ask them to change we don't ask them to be something that they're not we just love them where they're at John does this so well that whatever it takes short of sin we said many times in those early years to get people to know Jesus to find the hope that he had that turned his life John's life around completely it was the first time that he referenced that we watch games. I mean, we go nuts for our teams, right? <laughs> we go nuts. Why not for our king? And I realize I do that all the time. I have zero skin in the game. If the team wins or loses, it absolutely doesn't matter to my life. But then I go to church on Sunday and I keep my hands down. I sing quietly in case I don't sound great. And I don't cheer for the one person who actually died for my sins. So here's the deal, when our pride and our preferences are surpassed by our love and desperation for our Lord, watch what happens to our hands the next time we are invited to worship. And that was the single turning point um, for how I started to think about John. Was it an exact cultural fit? Not for Whitewater Crossing, Westwood Chevy, at 100-year-old church, right? But for the church that's gonna be 110 and 120 and 150. His heart for the lost is totally legitimate. And it really just bleeds over into you when you talk to him and you hear him and you experience it personally. The first time I sat down and talked to him, and he was so calm and real and I felt it. The way the guy lives his life is all about uh, being continually connected to everyone around him in a way where he's expressing no judgment, where his arms are open to them, where he's loving people, because he genuinely loves people. My husband suffered a heart attack this year. Zero 
history of it, not ready, wasn't prepared. I lost my cool and I called John Tisovich. And I was like, okay, I'm 100% all in when you're calling him to talk about your husband's heart attack. So one of the things that kind of captured our attention when our family, not only uh, when we moved to Cleves, but when we were first considering this call and making this transition was this bridge. This caught our attention. The fact that there was a bridge that was built intentionally to bridge two worlds. You have this beautiful gift of a building that has been this incredible resource to, to reach the lost, to make disciples, to, to transform the community and change lives. But the intentionality of having a bridge into a community um, where there's a lot of need and a lot of hurt in men, women, and students that are desperate for hope. It's about actually living out the gospel uh, to your neighbor right next door to ask uh, the Spirit just to reveal to us some families and students and people that you will put in front of us and let us be good news to them right now, right here. Um, it's trying to live out a vision of being on mission for Jesus, not just talk about it. I, I've always had a soft spot, I cry for lost people. That's been our passion. And that's what you have here. You can't delegate that. I love all of your gifts, but if the heart for lost people does not reside in this seat, we're in a world of trouble. I think that I have been pleasantly pleased because it does take two. Somebody has to reach for the baton, somebody has to let go of the baton, but in our time of running with it together, which we're kind of doing, yeah. I'm loosening my grip and I'm, I have confidence that he's gonna yeah. run well with that. I have discovered layers that were better than I thought in John. Yeah, in you. some leadership things, in some character thing, he's a better leader than I am and I was in some areas. There may be some areas where he's finding out, well, Vaughn's better than I thought he was. <laughs> Toothpaste, shampoo, soap. So we're gonna pack bags for them. We also want to equip nurses because many times So you got this, you have, you have your information, you have your personal story with Rob and the anxiety. We then go back into the personal. Jerica is coming your way. She's gonna do a flip of an order. Okay. All right, she's just coming your way. She's gonna give you a new copy of her message. Okay. But she's coming your way, so there's gonna be a, a change in order of slides. Beautiful story, ask video, ask. So we're gonna, she's gonna adjust that a little yeah. bit to what it feels like. Beautiful story, video, yeah, I agree. information. That's good, man. So good that's catch. That's a good call. That's. So I'm not running away or leaving behind my ministry of of passion of lost people. I just get to do it in a different way. And it is a bit daunting because, you know, we're we're own worst critics and we see all the insecurities and imperfections of self. And so the first thing is, is understanding like, man, I can't do this on my own. I love that we get to be on mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The things we've seen on the strip things we see in our backyard. The 
so much hurt and despair in the world and we have the answer, we have the hope that can actually change lives. And our job is to take that hope. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, by all means necessary, whatever it takes, I'll climb as many mountains as I have to. We're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. This isn't a maybe and if, or should we? This is what we are doing. This is what we're called to. We're gonna have opportunities to fill bags with food and necessities for children in need who are right here in our, in, in our greater Cincinnati area and all over the world. We have opportunities to provide clothes and sort clothes for the homeless. We're gonna to put together some furniture. We, you know, like, because people should, you know, have the dignity of actually having something to sit on instead of lawn chairs inside their house. We're gonna have the opportunity to provide, like, new shoes for kids who, who otherwise wouldn't have new shoes because we think kids uh, ought to have a pair of shoes. Be desperate enough to boldly take a healing step of action. So I reached out to my friends and I said, hey, we're gonna talk about rescue. Can you just tell me how we could bless you? She said, right now, John, honestly, when my friends come into the house, you know, like we just love them right there in our living room and, and, and we just need furniture. So I said, what's the cost on that? She said, I don't know, John, I don't like this kind of stuff. What's the cost? Just say the numbers, $5,000. I said, okay, cool. All right, so Whitewater, I need $5,000. Because the Spirit of the Lord did a mighty work through his church, Whitewater, to say, not on our watch. We're gonna rescue the slave. Hey there, I am Andrea Holtman, the director of Weightless Anchor, which is the home that we're standing in right now. We actually welcome in women that are, oh man, stuck in the cycle of sex trafficking, many of them struggling with substance abuse and living without a home. Here in our house, we actually offer um, hot meals, showers, clothing, a safe place to rest, and most importantly, just love without cost. People actually ask me all the time how I got to Whitewater and when I started coming. And the answer is John Tizovich. The relationship has just kind of blossomed as he's been to Price Hill and has seen all the things that are needed and just that this city really needs Jesus and that we need people here that are speaking Jesus over them and that are working with the poor, working with the homeless, working with the women that are trafficked, working with anyone that we can in this situation. He has a huge heart for that, which actually is what led to this amazing building. And now we have been blessed by Whitewater in the community with John as the leader to open this giant new house for our women to be able to serve more people, to be able to offer more services to the women in our community, and just to be able to bless people beyond anything we could ever imagine because our God is bigger than we will ever know. I don't look at it as the ending of David and Donna's ministry and the beginning of John and Kelly's ministry. I look at it as an extension of Donna and David's ministry, that John and Kelly are going to create their own legacy going forward. I don't think this church has given Donna the credit that she deserves for the growth of the church. And I get all those accolades, uh, but the lonely nights at home, uh, the 14, 15 hour days that I work sometimes during capital campaigns and initiatives. I've got to protect my loves 
my love of Jesus, not the ministry I do for Jesus, but my devotion to him, my love to him, my love for Kelly, my love for the kids, and then everything else has got to come after that. But you have taught me that as a don't sacrifice that. I told him this a while ago, but he is a wrecking ball for Jesus Christ, and I'm 100% on board, and I, I know his mission is to see a barrier and tear it down. John Tisovich makes me want to get out in the streets and be a, a leader and a champion for Jesus Christ as well. So I think what you'll see with him is that passion is going to express itself in a relentless desire to include as many people in what we're doing as you possibly can. And that's going to uh, reinforce some things that have already been done that are very good, but it's also going to take us into new frontiers and, and focus on people that maybe before were um, less open to church at all in a traditional sense. The challenge now, though, is we got more to lose, so you're a little more risk averse. I mean, we had nothing, you know, 350 people, and we had to have a capital campaign just to buy the land. Three years it took us just to pay off the property. You know, now we look back and say, man, that's small, but when you got the $25 million complex and you got a, the staff the size we do and the the, uh, the wonderful giving that has taken place, you've got a little more to risk, or you are tempted not to risk. But you need to, again, because that puts you in a place to trust God and not yourself. The day that we came in January of 2020, when the official offer was given to us, I stood up in the middle of one of the worship songs and I picked up Noah and I had him stand on a seat and we turned around and instead of looking at the platform, we looked out. Pre-COVID, <laughs> the room was full of people, absolutely wall-to-wall -wall full of people. And I said to him, I don't know why, buddy, but daddy, daddy's been asked to lead this. I don't support some of John's vision. I support all of John's vision. We've talked privately. I know where he's going. I trust it. It's exactly what I would do if I was his age and had his energy and I had another 19 years in me. And I, ooh, that's, he's doing exactly what should happen in this church. To see him evolve in this decision and this process and this succession and to see where he is now, there's just this peace about him that was never there before. And I think that he really feels peace in the decision and where we are, and this is truly what God had made him for. And so that's been really cool for me to see that change in him. I fell in love with this church because of the grace that I saw them extend to people. People in my family, my neighbors, my friends, and I continue to fall in love with this church every single day because of that grace that's still extended to me, to my family, to my friends. So we are in such good hands and the future is so bright and I cannot wait. No? All right. Mark. It's fun.
It's still fun. I think, John, it's just kind of dawned on us in the moment, like, what holy ground this is, and that we're all in it together, and it's kind of dawned on us, this is a big, big deal. (laughs) And I know we've obeyed God. We've submitted to what God has done in our lives. And for some of you who are new, thank you for watching that. Our team did a great job, although I don't like, yeah, I don't like me being up there so much, but... For those of you who have been with us on this journey, like it's a reminder of where we were, but for some of you, many, many of you who are new, like it is so rich for you to know where you came from and the foundation on which we are enjoying. And so it's something for everybody in there. And so I have two words for you, John Tisovich. You ready? Two, two words. Almost done. <laughs> Almost done. So here, here's a picture of me. That was snapped by Terry Beth Faust in her office during COVID. And I thought, that's still true right there. I was almost done back then, you know, but almost done now. And before we say goodbye, and it's really see you later, John and I will talk about that next week, what Donna and I are, are going to be up to. But we fully feel released and fully believe in John and Kelly, and we feel like God's calling us to a next and it's so easy to, to loosen when you know it's in good hands and you're moving on. And I wouldn't turn the flock I've loved for 20 years over to somebody that I didn't think would love you the way you should be loved. And so I just want to say on behalf of Donna and I how much we appreciate all of the gifts, the kindness, the expressions of, and encouragement and stories that people have told us. Some of them I remember, some of them I don't, of how God used us to impact your life. Dinners and cars. It's just been, the Davon farewell tour is finally coming to an end. Though. If I'm sick of hearing about me, I know you got to be sick of like, let's just go on with it, you know? So you almost done. Uh, and so we've been doing this thing called Legacy, and I've been trying to give my final words, as John mentioned, in the context of Paul's final words to Timothy, uh, some things I want him and you to remember and never forget. And a couple weeks ago, we said the first one, be real, be authentic. Fake doesn't work with God or in a church. Pseudo spirituality is not good, okay? So be real. Number two last week was be biblical. Preach the word, be in season, out of season. And so I want to leave you with one more quick word, and that's this, be bold. Be bold. We, we and, and all, all those words, again, come from the same book, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. We would not be sitting on this platform. We would not be on this property. I mean, the documentary film kind of uh, gave you the background. We would not be here without being bold, without taking faithful, prudent risks. As Dave Myers would say, I would often say to our team's we need to do something so big unless God is in it, it's doomed to fail. And God has been in it, and it didn't fail. The only reason we got there was to be bold. I can tell you, I could go on story after story. I could take all day listening to bold moves we make, but perhaps the boldest move we made is sitting right here. This is a bold move. This is, and that's why it's going to work, because he may not have been the guy. If you go by all of the checklist of traditional, say, and you know what? I wasn't the guy, believe it or not. I wouldn't have picked me either. I mean, you know? So both of us are humble and hungry, and I think that's helped us because we've never been quite qualified. 
So I encourage you today, one of my last words, and then next week again, I'll have a few more. But here's the word I want to leave with. Be real, be biblical, be bold. And I want to read to you the verse that in 2 Timothy 4, that's after the verse where, that I ended with last week, preach the word in season, out of season. And he talks about why you did do that. And I want to use the word bold as an, as an adjective before these characteristics. Again, Paul is saying these words to Timothy. I'm going to contextualize. I want to speak these words over you and over you. But you, he's talking to Timothy. I'm saying you, JT, keep your head in all situations. <laughs> I, you don't know how profound a word that is that I, I'm giving my brother here. I have learned Keep your head in all situations. Boldly keep your head in all situations. And there are all kinds of situations we have been through and will go through. Number two, boldly endure hardship. Your fight is not over. The ministry is hard. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. And every day you got to armor up and know we've had some tough times. We've had some good times Endure hardship. Do the work. Boldly do the work of an evangelist. My top spiritual gift, I don't know if you ever know this, is not preaching and leading. I like to do those things. My top gift is evangelism, outreach, seeing lost people. I just teach and lead and love to be able to see that. And what you will need to know is, I think that's one of John's top gifts. That the outreach, the evangelism heartbeat resides in him. And that's why it's going to work, because there's this tendency, as I said, to get sucked into the me-oriented, insider-focused ministry. And John, I'm just telling you, be bold. Do the work in evangelist yourself. Keep modeling that. I've seen you do that. But do the work. Make sure the church does the work of evangelism. We exist for people who are not yet here. That has been our driver. And then lastly, he says, discharge, and I would say boldly, discharge all the duties of your ministry. <laughs> John has, I don't, I don't think anybody knows what the job is in the, being a lead pastor, senior pastor, until you actually sit in a chair. And in fact, as I started to move out of my office and John moved in, which we did some time ago, <laughs> more and more of those duties of ministry found him. And I would sit across the hall and I would laugh. I would say, not my circus, not my monkeys. That's pretty much what I would say. There's a lot more that goes to this job than you even know until you sit in a chair. Boldly discharge all the duties of your ministry. I didn't have any classes, y'all, in how to raise men, morale, or money. How, how, how to deal with 30, 40, 50 staff, uh, HR, uh, how, how to hire, how to fire. I didn't know any of that stuff. I had to learn it. And so there's a learning curve to all the duties. But those things help us get to do what we do here on Sunday. I've often said to people, I will miss Sunday. <laughs> I won't miss Monday in some ways. Because <laughs> Monday is the church ink. Sunday is when God's people get together and we get to do what we do. So I guess, my, and I got one other scripture to, to share in a second, but I guess my, my heart here to you, you know, is we would often, often tell staff when they come in, be bright, be brief, be gone. That's one of those Vaughnism. I don't have time for a long time. Be bright. So I'm saying to you, be, be real, be biblical, be bold. John, be bold. Be bold. Keep risking for God.
I, uh, it, it, it was, it was challenging, um, stepping in, like, we'll talk in a couple weeks about this, but, uh, stepping into a successful ministry, okay, uh, that, that is a different type of weight, the burden of much than the burden of scarcity, and especially when, uh, you have a, a leader that God has used in such a powerful way. It is it, so. When I stepped in uh, in January of 20, I knew there was oh boy, it's going to take everything I have, and you, little did I know it was going to take a lot more than that. And you showed me in 20 what being bold meant as a leader. And throughout 20, all of us experienced 2020. So I'm not going to go through what 2020 was for all of us. Um, but in the midst of everything that kept popping up in 20 and then into 21, you showed me what biblical leadership is to be bold. Sometimes that was being bold to speak. And other times that was being bold to not speak. Sometimes it was in action. And sometimes being bold was to take no action. Um, because that was someone was trying to get your goat. Um, That's what I was telling you. Don't, don't let, let them get people your know where your goat's tied. They'll get it every time. Just don't. It's, it's, like God knew what he was doing, setting up the transition of this ministry in the midst of COVID and succession and 2020 and all that. He knew what he was doing. We didn't know that. Um, but David's absolutely right. We, I, I sat here, I leaned into him right before the lights came up, and I said, I'm a lot more emotional than I thought I was going to be. Um, and I think I was just thinking ahead. Next week is one service to celebrate the legacy of you and Donna and your family and all that God has done through you, and it's going to be an incredible party. You should all be there next week, Saturday, 10 a.m., one service. Like you, it, It's going to be this great moment. To, to celebrate next Sunday, not Saturday. I don't know why I said that. I told you I'm emotional. Saturday's a barbecue, though. That's Saturday's a barbecue. That's pretty good. I hear it. Sunday is service. I heard you say it. Saturday. Yeah, thank you. Sunday, 10 a.m. And it hit me like this is our, I won't say it like this, but I am going to say it. This is our last moment like this right here. Next week will be all the noise and pomp and circumstance and right here. So I'm going to slow down. Um, just be present in this moment. Um, you taught me one of, one of my favorite verses by how you've lived your life in just the two and a half years that I've known you. It's 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. It says, be on guard, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. And you've shown me that. We've had lots of successes in two and a half years. We've had <laughs> so many challenges that none of you get to know about, but he and I know about. And you showed me how to live out those verses, to be bold. And so, brother, I commit, because I know how much this church means to you more than they know how much this church means to you. I commit to continue to be bold to carry on the legacy of Jesus here and how he used you. So Thank thanks, buddy. You. Thank you.
Well, let me leave you with a couple other verses, and then I want to give you a gift, and then I want to pray for you and for John and Kelly. So here's, again, Paul's final words to his protege. Same thing I give to you. 1 Timothy 4, 11, 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Well, young-ish. <clears throat> but set an example, JT, bold example, for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, and Jesus is coming again. I'm coming again too at some point. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift. This man is uniquely gifted for this season. Don't let anybody put water on your gift. Put it out. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Paul said that to Timothy. J.T., was ordained by another set of elders and they sent him out as an ambassador. And next week our own elders here will lay their hands on John and Kelly and ask for that gift to continue. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. When you live in a glass house like preachers and wives do, everybody sees everything you do. Failures, and successes in progress. Here's the, the cool verse, verse 16. Listen to this. My brother, my protege, my successor, watch your life and doctrine closely. What you believe and how you live. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. See, guys, the, the art of preaching is not the art of preparing a message and delivering it. It's the art of preparing a man and delivering them. You are the sermon. He, he is the sermon. Now, I was tempted to also give you this verse. I didn't put it on the screen, but in light of what I know happened since he got back from Everest, here was another where I just scanned in the scripture. And I said, oh, this is so good. 1 Timothy 5, 23. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. <laughs> Paul even knew you had issues back then when he wrote this. It's biblical. I'm going to do biblical. it. It's I, biblical. I, you know, in moderation, I suppose. So let me give you the last verse, and this leads me to what I think is a unique gift. I, I've studied succession and gifts that the departing guys give, and I don't think anybody's given the gift like I'm going to give to you. Here it is, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. I've been in some fights here. Some of them good, bad, but it is a battleground. There are good fights to fight, and it takes boldness and biblical boldness to do it. I was able to fight fights because the elders had my back. I could be bold because they were bold and believed in me when I didn't often even know if I believed in myself. Fight the good fight of the faith. JT, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So I have a little gift for you. I, I, I thought first it might like be a baton. So many guys have given batons. I said, Shh, that doesn't excite me, you know. So um, I have a gift. Jess Atkins, uh, wherever you're at, come up here. And as Jess is coming up, could I just say this? 
how much and how great Jess Adkins is, how much he does. Thank you. <clears throat> he makes JT and I look a lot better than we really are. So I have a little gift under this uh, black cloth that I know you've had your eye on and I want you to put it in your new office with the stress that comes and it kind of goes with our Timothy passage. So let me give it to you and let me, you got the bottom there and let me, don't, don't, don't drop this now. Don't drop the baton, you got it? All right, now I'm gonna unveil it and I'm gonna tell you what it, what it, what it means. Here you go. All right. I am bestowing on you the helmet of salvation. No, that, that's not, that's, that, no, that's not it. A few years ago, I was going through a tough time here where I was battling lots of forces within and without, and a friend gave me a helmet, a gladiator helmet. I think he knew because I liked the gladiator movie to remind me that it, I was to fight the good fight of faith and that Jesus would fight my battles for me. And I've had that in my office for a long time. And the first time JT came in, I could tell he was smitten by that helmet. He loved that helmet. So we got him one of his own. It's not mine. I still got some battles to fight, so I'm taking mine. So I got you one exactly like it, except for one thing. On the back, it has an inscription. 1 Timothy 6:12, fight the good fight of the faith. And so my brother, I give you this to prepare you for the battle ahead. You are gonna be a great commander. You're gonna be a great leader. You're gonna be a great brother. I look forward to mentoring you in the future. Look at that and get some strength. Remember, we're, you're not alone in the fight. I may be in a different zip code. We're heart to heart. And if you ever see JT come out here wearing this thing, you better be ready because there's a family talk coming. So I just want to pray, if I can. I've written, because I often don't, in fact, rarely I would say write prayers, but I've written a prayer for John and Kelly on behalf of Don and I. And I know there'll be some next week, but if you would just stand, I, I want you to join me as I pray. Pray for you all. God, I thank you for providing such a gifted man to run the next leg of this race and fight the battles ahead. I pray that you would give John grace and stamina. It's not for the faint of heart. Move him in the quiet moments in his office when he studies and no one sees with the heaviness of decisions that affect so many people, there is a weight that comes with that office that I don't wish on anybody, but he has willfully and willingly decided to take it on. Protect him in the secret place of his heart where no one knows where he's tempted but you and the devil. God, keep his character and his integrity pure. For, Father, I know Satan would like nothing more than to destroy him. So help us to support him and pray for him. Help him, God, to stay humble and stay hungry. I ask you to be with his wife, Kelly, and Noah, and Isabel. It's hard to be a preacher's kids. Help them to be relaxed and joyful 
even though they live in that glass house, help the church to give JT and Kelly 100% to pray for them. And Lord, down the road, when someone thoughtlessly says, that's not the way David would have done it, help him not to resent me. Help him not to do it my way. Help him to do it your way, his way. May you continue to send people to encourage him, to fill him, to sharpen him, to hold him accountable. May he boldly preach your word and produce a harvest that cannot be contained by one building at one location. You have given me so much, God. Now anoint him with a double portion of that spirit you have undeservedly poured out on me. May my brother be real. May he be biblical. May he be bold. And I thank you, God, that you sent John Tizovich into our collective and individual lives. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.